Hey, hey, on today's 10,000 Pitches, my guest co-host, E Pluribus Lunum, and new zone coverage Loons contributor. Yeah, we're co-workers now. It's Jacob Schneider talking Minnesota United. And then later on, great interview with Shattuck St. Mary's boys soccer director and U19 boys soccer coach, Sean Boucher. Going to talk to him about MLS Next, um, how that kicked off this weekend. Shattuck St. Mary's, of course, a part of that new elite youth development program um, formulated by the MLS. So going to talk to him about that and, of course, the rich history um, that, that Shattuck St. Mary's has in the soccer space. So very excited about that. But first, of course, we got to tell you about our friends at Stimulus Athletic. Can't tell you how grateful we are for Stimulus, to be honest, uh, to help us out in developing the 10K kit, which you can purchase up until Monday. Monday's the final day to purchase the 10K kit. And if you haven't heard, we've dropped the prices significantly, $29 for a regular version. And if you want your personalized name and number on there, just an extra five bucks, $34 for a personalized version of the 10K kit. Just go to 10,000, that's one zero 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 pitches.itemorder.com to uh, purchase your 10k kit if you'd like again monday your last day to do so but stimulus has been so awesome we've been working them from from square one um i didn't even know what i really wanted the design to be when i went into creating the 10k kit but i filled out the design form at stimulusathletic.com charlene got back to me within 48 hours and we were off and running on designing this 10k kit so not only did they help me design it though they're helping us distribute it too they built us an online store where uh, fans of the podcast and anybody who wants to buy the kit can go and buy the kit. We don't have to take on inventory. We don't have to take care of shipping. That is all done by stimulus. They're making it so easy on us. And if you are a soccer club, ultimate Frisbee club, basketball team, baseball team, and you're looking to outfit your team for the season, whether you're playing spring baseball, spring soccer, you know, winter indoor soccer, ultimate Frisbee, winter basketball, you know, whatever it is, stimulus is the company you need to be going through to outfit your club because they can make it so easy as far as the design goes. If you already have a design, you already have something in mind, perfect, they can work with that. Or if you're going in like we were, square one, not sure what you want, but you want something that's gonna look good, Stimulus's design team can help you out with that and help you have something, wear something that you're gonna be proud of this season and they're gonna do so at an excellent cost. Like I said, if you wanna actually have your team go on and get the jerseys themselves, they can build you an online store to do that. It's so awesome, it's so easy, it's so convenient with stimulus. And the best part, they're local, Minneapolis based. A local company for a locally produced product and a, and a local company that can help your local team. So go to stimulusathletic.com if you're interested, fill out the design form and get started on having Stimulus outfit your club this season. And also make sure you tell them that Jeremy from 10,000 Pitches sent you when you do. Here we go. Welcome in. It's another edition of 10,000 Pitches, the podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. What is up? My name is Jeremy Rushing and uh, episode 19. That's right. Getting close to that big 2-0. So if you're now have listened to all 19 episodes or if this is your first, thank you so much for uh, giving us a chance and giving us a listen. If you could, if you haven't already hit that subscribe button, no matter what platform you're listening on, uh, subscribing to our podcast definitely helps. And then of course, if your platform allows you to leave a rating and review, if you have an iPhone, I'm gonna give you a special request here. Even if you don't listen to us on Apple Podcasts, if you have an iPhone, 
please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That is so, so huge for where we're placed and, uh, and our overall exposure on that platform specifically in Apple Podcasts, uh, whether you like them or not, they're the number one podcast platform out there. So if you could leave us a rating and review there, that would be awesome. Uh, also, you can follow us on the socials at 10K Pitches at 10K Pitches. And just wanted to let you know, if you're listening on Thursday, Friday, over the weekend, you have just a few more days to purchase your 10K kit. Uh, so if you want to take advantage of that very cool Jersey that we teamed up with our partners at stimulus Athletics to make, you have just a few more days. Uh, Monday is the final day actually that you can purchase one, just $29 for a regular version. Or if you want to upgrade and get your own name and number on the back, a little personalization there, you can spend $34, just an extra $5 to get that personal touch on it. But again, your last day to actually purchase one is Monday. So go to 10,000 pitches, one zero 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 pitches.itemorder.com to go ahead and, uh, and buy one if you'd like. You can also hit us up on Twitter at 10K Pitches. The link is there too. Uh, big show today. We're going to be talking to Sean Boucher, who's the director of boys soccer and the U19 boys soccer coach at Shattuck St. Mary's. Shattuck, of course, a part of MLS Next, which just kicked off this weekend. That's MLS's new sort of elite youth development academy league that they just launched. So I'm going to talk to him about how that's gone, the whole process, and of course, the rich, rich history there is with soccer and other sports like hockey as well over at Shattuck St. Mary's. So very excited for that conversation. But first, Let's bring in our guest host this week. It's none other than E Pluribus Lunum. And now adding to the list, zone coverage, Loon's contributor, Jacob Schneider. Jacob, we're co-workers now, officially. Yeah, rumor has it it was a TAM transaction. Uh, obviously <laughs> a, higher tra- a higher transfer value than uh, you being brought in and then Nick and David as well. You know, you got to bring in, a, you got to sauce some money for the best, right? Oh, exactly, exactly. And you don't take up an international spot either. So that, um, that's big for us. Yeah, no, but, you know, one of those coveted DP spots might be coming my way based on my salary demands. We'll see. We may just, we may just keep you paid down to the, to the TAM value. We'll see. We'll see. Well, as long as, you, as, long as zone coverage will call, cover my uh, college tuition, we can call it good. How's that? <laughs> I'll talk to Tom about that and see yeah. what he thinks. Jacob, a lot of good, too, on, on, the, on the Loons front here. They just finished up phase one on Sunday, 1-0 loss to Sporting Kansas City. We'll get into kind of our whole phase one recap here, but I do want to start by talking about the SKC game specifically. Kind of started as a rotation game from Adrian Heath. Um, different formation, a 3-5-2, had Lode, Molino, and Reynoso on the bench. Just And you could tell that it was a different formation than they were used to, and it was just a different whole dynamic than what this squad has been used to used to having on the, on the, on the pitch because that first half was, was lackluster to say the least. It was lackluster, but they were defensively sound. I think, it, you know, you look at that game versus one of the three first matches of phase one where the loons um, fell to SKC Houston and FC Dallas. Um, I think this performance, this one zero loss against SKC was the best game played that the loons lost during the phase one restart. Um, Obviously it was a bit frustrating to not register a single shot on net. Mm. Um, But if we're being frankly honest, the the loons were very defensively sound. I was really impressed with Baki Dabasi in his uh, debut. Um, Forgive me if I mispronounce his first name there. Um, Still waiting on the correct pronunciation there. But Dabasi had a great first game. Didn't have any, uh, any big mistakes that led to a, SKC opportunities or an SKC goal um, more than anything you know I think it's it's finally finally time to 
look and say Adrian Heath is willing to make changes. Um, in the first three years with Minnesota United, I think you look at this and say a, a, a three-back, a five-back, five wh- whatever way you look at it, whether or not you believe that they were actually wing-backs on the pitch or not, Adrian Heath would not have done that in year one, year two, or year three. I think he's finally starting to come into a coaching role with Minnesota that is, that is him, that is allowing him to express himself, express the way he wants to coach. And I think it's really turning into some positive results. Um, obviously, it's got to be frustrating with the amount of injuries um, the Loons have uh, racked up right now. Five starters, you know, you're, you're without five starting players right now, and that's that's crucial. It affects the chemistry on the pitch. It affects the gameplay. And you know what? It's it's probably a little frustrating for the teammates, too, to know, you know, you look at Roman Metinier. He's used to playing with Ethan Finley on the right. Now he's got to switch to Robin Lowe on the right um, or Marlon Harrison, uh, whoever plays on that right-hand side. You know, you know, Ozzy Alonso, so now Michael Boxel, Jose Aha. They have to rely on uh, uh, James Musa or uh, uh, Hassani Dotson at the six. You know, the chemistry is ruined by these injuries. And although they practice together, they're teammates, they're able to play together on a daily basis in training, it's different come match day. So I look at that and I say, SKC, you fell 1-0 to a, a fine goal. Um, it was a, it was a great, uh, great vision by Johnny Russell to um, recognize his awareness on the pitch and make that run. But in all honesty, it's it's a goal that you can't really help at that point. And to concede only one against that against SKC in that game, you know, I take that as a positive and I move forward. I thought it was interesting. I see it and I don't with, with the decision to bring the the three starters back on in the second half. Because if it was really a rotation game, I thought Adrian Heath would sort of stick with that and maybe just play for the draw in the second half. But I do see the the mindset that, okay, it's nil-nil at half. We have a chance to get three points on the road here. I know I, I put these guys on the bench to start, but if I bring them back in, we have a shot here to steal three points out of this match. I see that, but with the condensed schedule that they've had and, and you do want to get those guys some rest, I kind of thought if you're going to make it a game where you're starting some new guys and getting them in, you know, stick with that for the for the ninety. Um, that's kind of where I was at. I thought it was interesting that, that he started with them on the bench and brought them in in the second half. I mean, do you think a half was enough rest time? Or what, what do you think about that decision from Heath to bring those guys back on? Um, I think it's him saying we could, we could win this game. Mm-hmm. I think he genuinely thought they could win that game. But um, I've expressed this multiple times. Uh, I have not been fond of uh, the cameos from James Musa as of late. Mm-hmm. I think uh, – I don't want to say he was the worst player on the pitch because, you know – you don't like to say that about anybody, but I was least impressed with his performance on the pitch Sunday night. Him getting taken out halftime was justified. Um, but then, you know, you also have to look at Ja'Cory Hayes' injury early in the first half. Um, he went down, and uh, I don't think he was the same after that injury throughout the rest of the match. And I was a bit surprised to see Heath play him as long as he did. Um, yeah, he was laboring at the end of that match. Yeah. There. He was definitely, you know, he wasn't his energetic self. I think it was either Cal or Kendra who noted it on the broadcast as well. Um, I would have liked to see some sort of rotation there. Um, maybe you move to a more attacking formation where you're able to play um, Lode, Molino, Chacon, and Reynoso along with Mason Toy. I was rather upset to see Toy taken off in the 65th minute. Uh, it was around the 65th. I'm not going to, I'm not going to be totally correct on that probably, but I wanted to see more of Toy and I wanted to see him play with Reynoso. Um, I don't think it's feasible to ask Emmanuel Reynoso to come on and play striker, to ask Raheem Edwards to come on and play striker. 
um, especially without the starters in there because, you know, they're not, it's not their natural position. They're not used to it. But again, injuries are looming. They suck right now. Um, the loons are struggling in that sense. Uh, you know, it's a bit unfair from uh, the soccer gods to uh, yeah. cast uh, Ozzy Alonso on the sideline, Tyler Miller out for the season, Ethan Finley mid-October, Luis Amaria early to mid-October, um, and then Ike Opara, um, somebody we haven't had access to since those games in March, since yeah. the COVID-19 pandemic began. He has been unavailable due to unknown personal reasons. And, you know, you got to look at that and say, we wish you the best, Ike, but also the Loons could uh, really use some leadership out there. I think Heath bringing, bringing Toy off, while it's, it'd be, you know, it's not ideal to not have a striker out there and it's not ideal to have Reynoso at striker. I think that's Heath just really, I mean, he can't afford to lose Toy, right? I mean, you can't <clears throat> afford to lose yeah. your only striker left. I think he's willing to go 25, 30 minutes without a striker, uh, you know, so that way he can keep, so that way he can keep that striker healthy so he doesn't have to try to put together a starting 11 without one. That's fair. Um, you know, I know we're going to get this get, get to this later in the show, but there's rumors of Chacon, of Tomas Chacon leaving on loan. You know, with that DP spot opens up, I would not be surprised to see Adrian Heath and Mark Watson pounce on a striker. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever. Um, although Tom, Tomas Chacon is a young DP, the Loons could sign another young DP in his place, or they could pay 150k general allocation money to the league to open up a third uh, DP spot, and that DP spot could be used on any player. Um, but right now, if Chacon were to leave on loan and, and, and the Loons were to have a, an open spot, it would strictly be for a young DP unless they pay that 150K general allocation money to the league for the third spot that would uh, open up to any sort of player. But I would not be surprised to see Heath and Watson pounce on some sort of striker in that role. Um, I highly doubt that Luis Amarias ends up staying with the Loons following his injury. Um, he hasn't impressed that much, although he said he was going to score 25 goals <laughs> I doubt it. Um, yeah. You know, injuries don't help that ca- that case, but also no. he he just hasn't looked good. So. No, and let's let's talk about the the Chacon rumors a little bit because it was interesting how the report from Uruguay came through on Twitter right before kickoff. Yep. I honestly didn't see it till almost halftime uh, that, that it came through at least to my feed. Thought it was interesting that amid those rumors, it's actually the one time we do see Tomas Chacon get on the pitch <laughs> where he's rumored to be leaving, but. Um, the timing of this is interesting to me because obviously uh, uh, Andy Grader from the Pioneer Press has reported that they've been looking to loan Chacon for a while now um, to get him somewhere, to get him some minutes. But it's interesting to me that they're pulling the trigger now considering how riddled they are with injuries and how shorthanded they are at this moment. That timing to actually say, okay, if this is true, we're going to ship them off now. I mean, you need bodies now more than ever. I get that Chacon needs to play, and long-term, this will be great for not only the young DP, but, but for the loons, you know, if he's able to go and actually you know, get the minutes he needs and, and figure some things out and come back the better player that they hope he is. You know, obviously, it would be better for the loons in the long run, but right now, I really don't think this team can afford to lose anybody. Um, you know, I feel like I, I agree with you 100%, but it's also the one position the loons could. If there was a position on the field the loons True. could vacate, it would be that 10 as they have Reynoso as the starter, Kevin Molino as the backup, number 10. Um, Chacon's third string on that depth chart in the 10 role. And frankly, um, Adrian Heath's not going to want to take off Reynoso in any match once he's fully match fit. He'll be playing 90 minutes continuously. Um, so you got to look at that too. But I can also say that, um, you know, the team has been wanting to loan Chacon out for a while. There was a rumor a few weeks ago that a team in Spain, uh, presumably the second division, was inquiring about um, Chacon's availability. Um, 
Keith was asked about it while they were in Orlando when the MLS was back tournament. Um, you know, he said, we'll have to see what happens. Um, didn't, didn't say anything more than that. And now we're looking at uh, a loan back to Danubio where he came from. And frankly, there's been some real quality players to come out of Danubio for the Uruguayan national team and on the national level in Europe. Um, so you've got to hope that Tomas Chacon can finally find his footing. I know the kid is going to be happy to go back to Uruguay, though his girlfriend has been uh, in Uruguay the entire time while he's here. They post, uh, they post screenshots of them FaceTiming on his Instagram story every once in a while and uh, other social media channels. So I know he's going to be happy to be able to see family. He might feel a little more comfortable, might gain his confidence back, which is the biggest key for a young player. Um, his confidence is shot right now, although he brings some energy on the pitch, although he brings excitement every once in a while when he gets those cameos, his confidence is absolutely shot. So getting that loan, getting those crucial minutes, maybe finding a little more comfort in family and friends, um, you know, maybe that'll get him, get him going again and we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe he doesn't come back to Minnesota. Maybe he does. It's a, it's a waiting game at this point. It's kind of similar. We were talking about James Musa a little bit earlier. It's kind of similar to like, you know, he needs the time on the pitch to improve, but if he's not performing in practice and he's not doing well as confidence shot, then he's not going to, not going to play. So it's kind of like a chicken and the egg situation where it's like, you know, these guys do need the time to, to improve and develop, but if they're down, down on the depth chart and they're not getting that time, you know, yeah. you can understand why. So um, yeah, you know, loaning Chacon to Uruguay to Danubio, a better option, I think, than loaning him to like a USL squad for sure. Um, I think that's definitely more ideal. So it'll be interesting to see after a year or so if this is true that he is going back to his old old club, um, see how he develops and if he turns into the to the you know crucial, vital, you know, everyday starter that, that Minnesota United hopes he can become. Yeah, and you know, like I said, there's lots of fun options to replace that DP with. Um, you know, I've got a few that I would throw names out there if I'm a uh, if I'm working for Minnesota United in that front office and I happen to walk past Mark Watson, you know, I might casually say Alexander Pato, Mario Goza, and then just casually walk by him again um, silently. You know, I might, I might throw some names out there for a, a playmaking striker to score goals. But, hey, free agents are only free agents for a while, so you got to pounce. Absolutely, and, and they do have that open DP slot if, if Chacon is, is moving or is, is being loaned. Uh, that does give them a little bit of flexibility in terms of uh, a DP slot to use. So it'll be interesting to see how, how they utilize it. Um, you know, obviously striker is the main need, but I mean, you look at Ozzy Alonso, we don't know his, his, uh, his health situation, how long he could be out. Uh, so, um, you know, a lot, a lot of places where the loons could add to, uh, to really Im improve the squad and, and improve them moving forward as, as we get kind of yeah. into phase two here of the, uh, of the MLS uh, return to play. Before we get to kind of previewing phase two and recapping phase one as a whole, I kind of want to talk about Dane St. Clair's performance on Sunday because sure. although it was only his third start, um, I mean, he was thrown into the fire in this match. 21 shots, seven on goal, um, and he was really up to the task. He won man of the match, which uh, between him and Boxall, you know, you could kind of go either way there. But just, just you know, considering how, how fresh he is, how, you know, this is only his third start, I was extremely impressed with his decisiveness. I think that was the one portion of his game that really impressed me, especially when compared to Tyler Miller. Tyler Miller is great, but he can be indecisive at times. Where you look at Dane St. Clair – he is in command between the posts. He is decisive in his actions. And I think that's really those two sporting Kansas city misses, which I think were early in the second half. 
I think that he really influenced those with his decisiveness to come off his line and, uh, and uh, for lack of a better term, attack the shooter, so to speak, uh, to push those wide. I was really impressed with kind of his decision-making uh, uh, specifically on Sunday along with the other aspects of his game, like his speed and whatnot. You know, I like that he's a voice on the back line too. He's loud. Um, and Matt Doyle, the uh, armchair analyst of MLSsoccer.com, uh, tweeted out during the game, you know, Dane St. Clair is for real. I've been saying it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think I, I, I tag along with Matt on that one. I've been high on St. Clair since, his dra- since we drafted him, um, national championship with Maryland. Um, you know, he, he's a good, good player. Um, he's also a really good cook. He's a, he's a chef at home. <laughs> he, uh, he's very talented in the kitchen and in between the posts for the loons. So if you ever are in need of a good, uh, a good uh, hot dish, you know, I bet you he could cook one up for you. But He's also been cooking up some saves for the Loons, and man, has he been impressive. Um, commanding that back line, like you said, that decisiveness is is so key for a young goalkeeper, any goalkeeper, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if I'm Greg Ranjitsing, you know, I'm probably like, damn, uh, it sucks. I, I had an opportunity and I lost it. But, you know, he's also got to be looking at this and say, wow, this kid's talented. He, he's, he's really talented. And Canada's – Canada's getting a pretty good national team, Jeremy. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah, the, the you know, Can-MNT is creeping up right now. You know, Alfonso Davies, Dane St. Clair. Uh, Jonathan David is the most up-and-coming player there. God, he's going to kill it in, in uh, Liga 1 with, with uh, Leo. I'm so excited to see the link-up play there. Um, you know, Canada's, Canada's creeping up. I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, make the next World Cup and, you know, compete, not just, not just be there. I heard the guys on on Extra Time. One of uh, it, was, it was a couple months ago now, talking about uh, a combo U.S. and Canadian national team and what that would look like. Uh, and that would just—I mean, that's that's a scary squad because the, they they mentioned this and it, and it, it's so correct. The strengths that Canadians national team possesses, uh, as far as as far as left back and, and uh, I think it was one of the midfield spots. It, it directly aligns with where. U.S. men's national team's weaknesses are. So you can yeah. plug those guys in, uh, and it would be perfect. But I thought that was an interesting conversation. And you're right. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. Dane St. Clair is up and coming. Obviously, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David. Uh, Canadian, Canada's men's national team is – they're on the up and up, for sure. Oh, for sure. It was kind of like Jamaica a few years back when Leon Bailey was just starting out in Germany. Um, they've slowly died down. Jamaica's not as much of a powerhouse now. But they were tipped to be one, and now we're tipping Canada to be one. So CONCACAF should be some fun over the next uh, – the next few years you know yeah Especially hopefully we the, can get that hopefully we can get that 2021 uh qualifying slate like, like that's uh that's been released uh co- obviously covid depending but yeah. that's gonna be a lot of fun to watch and you got to look at canada and you got to look at alfonso davies and uh, his girlfriend jordan Witema. um they're both canadian internationals uh Witema playing for uh psg and uh, davies playing for Bayern munich they are the powerhouse couple of soccer in the world the right couple. now I they like are it. And, you know, Canada's women's national team, too, they're on the rise. Christine Sinclair is getting real old now. Um, they're obviously going to have to find this new generation, and Wittema is going to lead them, no doubt in my mind. Watching her play, absolute baller. All right, so let's move on. I, I thought this was interesting. One last thing on the Kansas City match that I want to mention. Uh, Heath came in with 17 available guys on Sunday. Played all of them except for uh, backup keeper Fred Emmings. Every position no player way. available played. Wow. Huh. Huh. 
made I, all five subs. They came the 16, 16, <laughs> I mean, the 15 position players and the two keepers. Yeah, can we talk about how Fred Evans was our backup, though? Uh, that's funny. <laughs> you know, hey, all the power to the kid. He, uh, he made the game day back in uh, Orlando, too, but that was also with Ranjit Singh on the bench, too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, hey, all the power to the kid. The Loons have faith in him. Uh, you know, obviously they wanted to pull a goalkeeper in there. They wanted to get someone else. But to be able to even move forward and, you know, have the confidence in him, all the power to him. Absolutely. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they uh, how they expand this roster amid these injuries moving forward. We kind of talked about the the places they can add. So uh, we'll see how they kind of get everything. Because I mean, they can't. We saw this on Sunday. They really can't field an 18 right now. It's it's that bad. And then if you lose Chacon, that's one that's one less. Schoenfeld is really the only guy that Adrian Heath said could be available on Saturday as far as the injured players. So uh, we'll see how they how they field that roster for the phase two opener against Houston. Um, which is kind of where they kick off phase two. But as far as phase one goes, two zero and four in the phase, two wins, zero loss or zero draws and four losses. They currently set five, two and four, third in the West at the time of this recording. But I don't think anybody within three points of them plays by the time this will release on Thursday morning. So they should still be in third when you're listening to this, depending on. Um, you wrote today for zonecoverage.com that phase one really um, spotlighted the brilliance of Adrian Heath, kind of how he's been able to uh, put together this team, considering the injuries. You've been extremely impressed by that. Can you elaborate on that? Because there is going to be some uh, other Minnesota soccer podcasts, some fans of Minnesota United that that I don't think are going to be uh, completely in agreement with this take. So why don't you elaborate a little bit on that? Well, let me be honest. Are you going to sit here and say that Heath's done a bad job? He got you to the semifinals and MLS is back. He won both home games at Allianz Field. Good job, you know. He also played four matches away from home with a very limited roster, um, a brand-new DP who had no chemistry with his players whatsoever, um, strikers that don't score goals. Um, let's see, let's see. No captain in Ozzy Alonso because he's injured. Um, well, the list goes on. We've got a debut from Baki Debasi. We've got two rotating goalkeepers through six games. You know, he's dealt with – his, his hands were dealt. Uh, the cards he was given were not great, Jeremy. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, he did, he, he did fine. You know, I was impressed. You know, I expected a, lo- a lot worse, to be honest. I didn't think phase one was going to go well following injuries to Luis Amaria, who's touted 25 goals this season, to Tyler Miller, our starting goalkeeper to Ozzy Alonso, the best defensive midfielder to ever play in Major League Soccer. Um, you know, Ethan Finley, a, a voice, a leader, a veteran, a goal-scoring winger. It's, it, it, it's so, so vital for the Loons to have a player like that. He's off the pitch now, you know. And then Aaron Schoenfeld, a depth piece to bring on late stages of the game, a big presence in the box. We don't have that now, you know. It's, it's, it's tough. You know, you can make excuses as a Lewins fan to be like, oh, well, well, you know, the only reason we lost that game is because, uh, is because Reynoso wasn't here yet or because, you know, Reynoso wasn't fit or maybe because um, Hassani Dotson uh, was played in two positions in one game. You can make these silly excuses, but in all reality, the Lewins weren't touted to win those matches, you know? Mm-hmm. People didn't think they would and they didn't. You know, if they win them, good for you. But – the expectation were to win those matches at Allianz Field. And not only did they win them, they destroyed Real Salt Lake 4-0. to 
they were so dominant in that game, but that game was when they had a healthy team. You know, now obviously there's the long-term injuries, but at that point, nobody, nobody we expected to be injured was injured. We didn't have Romain Metnair on a red card. We didn't have um, nicks and, and nicks to players' ankles uh, the, practice, the days before a match or something, you know. We had a roster that was ready to play, and they played. Then move forward three days to FC Dallas. Uh, obviously, Matt Nair gets his red card late in the match, and it's a gritty 3-2 win. But, man, that was fun soccer. Like, how can you complain watching that match and, and be like, gosh, we should have we done better? First of all, FC Dallas are a really good team. Ricardo Pepe is going to be – you know, Ricardo Pepe's only 17. He scored against us. Imagine what he could do when he's 22, 23. This, he, he is going to be one of the best attacking wingers in this league. Um, and obviously he can also play at the number nine position. So FC Dallas are a really good team. And to, to take that game three, two down a man for the final 13, 14 minutes, you know? Well, yeah. 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Great job. You know, and I'm really impressed with Heath's decision-making. Um, I talked about moving Robin Lowe to over to the right-hand side of the pitch. I did some numbers comparisons. He has over a thousand minutes on left wing this season, three goals, 250 minutes on the right wing, two goals. I'm impressed uh, his movement, his passion for the game is seen fluently in his footwork. Um, I was really happy with some of the movement from Mason Toy, um, along with Robin Lode and Kevin Molino, um, and then um, Emmanuel Reynoso, excuse me, uh, behind him. I think some of the, the moving forward, the playmaking, the, uh, the passing, the, the vision and awareness of that front four is really compatible right now. Obviously, Toy hasn't found his shooting boots to the, to the best of his ability right now, but he'll get there. I still have faith in him. I think... Uh, you know, I think um, if we do bring in a DP striker it, and uh, we get we get Amaria and Schoenfeld healthy, I think Toy is someone you look for to get a loan possibly in some uh, some USL championship minutes. Uh, nothing below that though. No, uh, no, no League One, no League Two, no forward Madison. He needs uh, he needs top tier minutes. Yep. Um, you know, maybe We've even already alone, seen so how, like, uh, how how vital those can be with Dane St. Clair. I mean, getting somebody yeah. just just one tier below. I mean, and, and like you said, for his confidence more than anything, right? I think, yeah. I think Toy's confidence is really lacking right now. Uh, he's somebody who really holds himself to a high standard, which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? When he doesn't reach that standard, he's somebody who can really, uh, you know, kind of kind of take himself out of it. So um, I completely agree with that. But I do want to divert a little bit and talk about how these injuries, specifically in the final third, they've really kind of set the table for the lineup that really flourished in the second half against RSL and the win over FC Dallas. You already mentioned Robin Lode. And when we were at Allianz Field kind of getting set for the, for the game against FC Dallas, I was listening to the Score North pregame show. And uh, they interviewed Robin Lode on the pregame show. And they talked about uh, playing with Roman Matinair as opposed to Chase Gasper. And he basically said, playing with Chase – they're they're very very similar in that they're both they're, they're both left-footed i believe and they like to get in the same spaces so he said they were actually taking space away from each other and we're getting in each other's way a lot on the left side because they were very mentally they were very similar in the spaces they wanted to get into in the way they saw the field so he did say working with metonair is a little bit more of a fluidity there um so that yeah. might have been what was wrong on the left side with Loden gasper I, i'm not sure but i thought that was interesting um and obviously we've we've seen we've heard from mason toy that he thinks load is better on the right side you know it's just obvious from his play like you mentioned that he is um so it's interesting that while these injuries aren't ideal they've kind of move this lineup in a way that when everybody is healthy can really flourish. Yeah, I know. I can't add a whole lot to what you said. You know, you said it right. Um, fluidity, uh, 
connection among the team, chemistry on the pitch, it's so vital to success. And I think um, although Mason Toy is a, is a proven goal scorer in this league, he's proved that he can score goals. He did a really good in the Open Cup last year. I think, uh, I think you know, he might need to get some confidence back in those feet of his and alone could do, could do some work, could do some uh, help for him. But also, um, you know, having competition helps. Right now, there's no competition. He's got that starting role, and I don't think anyone's pushing him right now to take it. So that's obviously uh, – he might be uh, just feeling a little lackadaisical too. You never know. I asked Adrian Heath in the, in the postgame after the uh, last match against SKC who he thought his backup striker is right now, and, and he mentioned that Reynoso got some time up there. Sometimes it looked like Lode was furthest up the pitch. I mean, who would you go to after Mason? Let's say we do get another situation on Saturday where Schoenfeld's not available, 60, 65th minute. You know, maybe maybe he th- decides to take Toy out to keep him healthy. You know, who who do you who would you ideally slot into that that striker role? Raheem Edwards, I think, yeah. strictly on pace. I look at it and it's like uh, it's like you're playing FIFA and your entire team is 88 rated, but on your bench you've got this 74 rated silver card, but he's some kid with 94 pace but only 50 shooting. That's Raheem mm-hmm. Edwards for the Loons. You're just going to bring him on strictly for that pace, and maybe if he gets lucky on a ball, he'll get that in the back of the net. Otherwise, he'll have some good hold-up play to let the rest of the wins catch up. Um, if Edwards isn't available, you know, I contemplate um, moving to a false nine instead of having a striker. Kind of like what um, – here we go again, Jeremy, by the way. Kind of like what Chelsea did with Eden Hazard. <laughs> you can't go through an interview um, without you mentioning Chelsea. <laughs> nah, but no, but when, no, when, when, when the Blues were down – Strikers, Alvaro Morata and Diego Costa back in, I believe this is 27, 16 or 17, maybe the 16, 17 season for a month or so, they moved Aiden Hazard as a false nine. And I feel like Emmanuel Reynoso could solidify himself as someone who could play that role. Obviously, obviously you're not going to be playing with a striker, you won't have somebody forward, but you're going to have a front three, front three excuse me, that are on like a, a similar level of playing. You know, you're going to almost have a straight line. Uh, Reynoso will sit a little bit deeper than those two wingers. Your two wingers will be the farthest up, and he'll play a little bit farther than uh, an attacking mid, kind of like a center forward. So let's move into a phase two preview here. Uh, three matches scheduled. Um, interesting how they're, how they're doing this and releasing these matches. Um, <laughs> at Houston, again, at Columbus, and then versus RSL again. And these three matches happen over a nine-day period starting this Saturday, which is the matchup uh, down south again at Houston again. Uh, weird to me that the Houston and RSL fixtures aren't the reverse of phase one. They're the exact same that we saw in phase one with us going down to Houston and RSL coming to Allianz field. Um, And then I thought for sure, and this might be released in a later schedule release. um, I thought for sure we'd have a home and home with Colorado because that's a common opponent with the teams that we've already played in phase one. SKC played Colorado. Um, Houston played Colorado. So I thought for sure, based on common opponents and based on limiting contact tracing and all that good stuff, that, that we would get a home and home with Colorado, which we, which we still might as the schedule gets released because after these three, there are still nine more matches, um, at least if you match that up with what MLS said would happen um, heading into this return to play. But, well, what was it? Steve McPherson, who is the senior digi- senior editor of digital content at MSNUFC, tweeted out this morning, um, by the end of phase two, the Loons will have, well, played four home games to 10 away games. Yeah. The only other teams close will be the Revolution, the Quakes, and the Whiteclaps, who have a six to eight split. Um, you know, I hope, I, I would hope that MLS fixes that come the second round of phase two. Is that what we want to call it? Part two of phase two? 
um, when phase they release 2. the rest 2. of the phase two point two. Let's call it. I like that, Jerry. <laughs> phase two point two. Um, you know, I'd expect the loons to get. You know, say how many more matches will there be after these three? Nine. What did they say? If there's nine more matches, I want to see five five home five home for the loons there, at minimum. Otherwise, you know, you guys would look at it and say mm, something's fishy. But you can't uh, you can't be the best in this league. You can't win the supporter shield. You can't win uh, the MLS Cup 2020 if you can't win away from home. So it's also going to be a good learning curve for these for this young uh, uh, for this young loons team. Um, obviously, you've got some consistency in the back line, um, a lot of uh, a lot of chemistry there. But you know, maybe Baki Debasi flips into that starting eleven. A little bit less chemistry, maybe a little bit of a better player. I don't know. I think the only uh, the only positions that are solidified right now for the Loons are going to be uh, Chase Gasper, Michael Boxel, Romain Metinier, Dane St. Clair, and uh, Emmanuel Renesso and Kevin Molino. I think the rest of this can shift. Um, I'll toss Jan Gregos in there too because, you know, Asani Dotson might might rotate into a bench role and come off as a super sub. Same with Ja'Cory Hayes. Same with uh, Robin Lode. Same with Mason Toy. Um, who's going to start at left center back? Jose Aha, Baki Debasi. You know, are we going to see more of James Musa? Are we going to see Tomas Chacon? Are we going to see Raheem Edwards? You know, what's going to happen? Uh, you know, of note, the Loons also have two center backs on loan in the USL and Noah Billingsley and uh, Brent Coleman. Although uh, I doubt Coleman ever plays a game for the Loons again. Billingsley is a young product, a young prospect who uh, broke fitness records during uh, training last February for the Loons. He, uh, he's what we like to call a chiseled masterpiece. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> the kid's unreal, unreal in terms of fitness. And uh, he, he, might, he, he could come back and play a bench role if we do go, do go down another injury. Obviously, we don't have Ike Opara. You know, phase two is, is, uh, is a temptation for the Loons. You've already beaten the Columbus crew once, but uh, that was in penalties, you know. And let's be honest, the crew are one of the hottest teams in uh, the U.S. right now in and Major League Soccer. They're in the Shield race as of, as of this recording. So. Yeah, you know, and Lucas Zellerion is <laughs> – he is a fun player to watch, man. And what on earth has gotten in Giassi Zarda's shoes this year? He's, he, I mean, he's I was soccer. as big a critic as anybody of him with the national team last year. Um, yep. I did not think he fit, and he has come out this season with a fire under him, and he has been – I mean, two goals against Chicago. They were facing yep. – they were facing defeat, square in the face, and Jassy Zardes put that team on his back and willed them to, uh, to a draw, I believe. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think they got three points out of there. But anyways, he has been awesome, and the, this crew team is, is stacked. And I do like, kind of to that point, I do like the opportunity for Minnesota United to go to Columbus – and have that match with, with, with the crew and have an opportunity to really kind of make a statement that we are for real this year. I don't think you have to win that match. Maybe you don't even have to draw it, but you have to go there and you have to perform. You have you to hear a hot take, Jeremy. I would love to hear your hot take. Um, the Columbus crew will be the first legitimate opponent the Loons will face during phase one or phase two. I don't think the Houston Dynamo are as good of a team as they have been playing. I don't think SC Dallas is, is, is that great. They've got some good, good players. But overall, they're not great. They're sitting in ninth place in the West. And uh, Sporting Kansas City, um, although they are first in the West, um, the two matches the Loons played against them, uh, the, the Loons were playing rotation rosters against SKC, against Burmese. And uh, let's be honest, both were 1-0 losses. And I think uh, if the Loons are healthy, they'd be SKC on any day, just based on SKC's performances as well. Um, I mean that as no critic to Peter Burmese or the SKC team. They've got some really great pieces, especially Gotti Kinga. Oh my goodness, is he is he wonderful to watch on and off the ball? 
I think Vermes is one of the best coaches in MLS, but I genuinely think this Loons team is a better team than Houston, than FC Dallas, than Sporting Kansas City, than Real Salt Lake. I think the Columbus crew will be the first legitimate test post-bubble, post-Orlando bubble for us. And, um, you know, you put up a result there, you can put a result against anybody, leave it at that. It'll be interesting uh, to see how this, uh, how this phase two progresses and, and what kind of schedule we get moving forward as we get, we get further into this uh, MLS return to play season. Final question, because I'm going to write about this for zone coverage this week. Who's your center back pairing right now? Do you, do you go with kind of the proven aha box all combo? Or I really like, I, echoing your statement, I really like what we saw from Kai DeBassi on, on uh, Sunday. I think in terms of just the player, player versus player. I do think Debassi is the better player of the two between himself and Aha. But you but really with the pairings, you can't always go with individual performance. You got to go with kind of the the combo that's working. Aha and Boxall is working. Debassi Boxall talent wise might be the better pairing of the two. Who are you going with right now? Um I'll tell you this. I stick with Boxall Aha for now. But you know it's Boxall Aha against the crew no matter what. Unless you go a three-back, then it's Debassi, Aha, Boxy, wing-backs, Metnair, and Gasper. I'd like to see Gasper as a full wing-back for 90. I'm curious yep. to see what that would look like. We haven't, we've never seen it. I don't know if it would work. I know Metnair would obviously work. That's the type of player he is. I think against Real Salt Lake, maybe you throw Debassi in there. And I think against uh, um, the, the Dynamo, I think you throw Aha in there because Dynamo are going to be a better team than Real Salt Lake. You might want a little more experience with uh, – the chemistry between a pairing, but I think Debassi has a real chance to certify himself as a starter. I think so too. I think it's interesting. I, I really liked what I saw from Debassi and Boxel. I think some plays that Debassi made, uh, you know, off his line to, to save the, an SKC goal there late in the match. I think just instinctively and as the player, I do think he might be the better player than Aha, but obviously that's not all to take into consideration. Again, I'll have a kind of a full breakdown on that for zone coverage later on in the week. Speaking of zone coverage, the newest member of zone coverage, Jacob Schneider, my co-host this week. Jacob, always appreciate the time. You're always a friend of the podcast. I am so glad that we're legitimate coworkers now, and I look forward to uh, reading, writing, and speaking with you further as we get you know further along in this United season down the stretch. You know, and for zone coverage, you can catch my content Tuesdays, Thursdays on that website. Um, I'll still be covering match days for EPL, um, Loom, excuse me. We go by EPL, but not everybody knows that just because nobody likes to <laughs> he say, writes hey. for the Premier League? What? Yeah, right? No, nobody likes to go up and say, who do you write for? E Pluribus Lunum. Uh, you know, it's a bit long. It's a bit, uh, e, uh, it's a bit interesting. E Lunum. There you go. Just like that, Jeremy. Um, but no, on top of that, uh, you know, follow me on Twitter at underscore Jacob Schneider. I, uh, I tweet about the loons a lot. Uh, Jeremy's found out. I probably fill up his timeline. Oh, He's Jacob. a lot. Hey, you know, when there's a soccer team playing that is also blue and from England, uh, you know, the only, good, the only good blue team from England, you hear me? You okay, watch yeah, okay, we'll see. We'll see about that. Okay, let's talk about this real quick. Uh, <laughs> did you get to is, watch Everton Tottenham on, on Sunday? I did not, unfortunately, because I did not sign up for Peacock. I didn't even watch Chelsea on Monday. I got the free trial. I'm looking into alternatives while during this week. I gave myself the week to look into alternatives and then I'll make a decision this week. I don't know what I'm going to do, but this midfield combo is legit. Absolutely anybody, legit. 
anybody who has followed Serie A has never understood how Alon has managed to stay with Napoli as long as he had. Um, how he hasn't been in the Brazilian national team baffles me. He has been as of late, but earlier in his career, my goodness, Alon is no doubt going to be a top five Premier League midfielder this season um, for Everton. Uh, unbelievable signing. Even though he's 29, you'll get five years out of him at a top level. He is the definition of a workhorse hot take. Best signing Everton's, uh, Everton's made in the past decade is Alon, I, even though I he's 29. I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. I think when you look at the combo of Alon, James, and Decore, just those three signings together okay, happening. Okay, I lied. I lied. Besides, besides Lukaku, he's he's second behind Lukaku. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I just I really like it. They, they, I mean, I know Tottenham. You know, really isn't. They did not look great on Sunday in possession. The domination in between the boxes. It was all Everton. That game should have been four-one. If we're if we're being completely honest. Yeah. Um, I just I hope I hope that that Richarlison can get it together because he had a couple really bad looks on on Sunday. He had a, a wide open goal that he missed. And then you, uh, his first touch was not great. So I'm just hoping he can step it up. If he can step it up and become the Richarlison that really carried this Everton squad offensively last year, in addition to the quality that they have in the midfield now, this this team, I think we're talking like solid Europa League spot. And, you know, I don't know if – I don't think they'll make a Champions League spot. I don't think they'll make top four. I think that the big four are going to be the top four this year. But I don't think they're going to be too far out of that race. You know, and did you see the reports out of Spain this evening that Tottenham have made a have made a move to bring Gareth Bale back to Spurs, and in return, um, Real Madrid would get Deli Ali? I did not see the Deli Ali trade. I saw that Bale was potentially on his way to Tottenham, but I did not see the trade aspect of moving Deli Ali to Real. It could be a player swap. Um, uh, uh, I forget who reported it. Um, regardless, just check Fabrizio Romano's timeline in the morning. All right. You'll probably All see right. this podcast whenever it comes out, folks. Jeremy, check Fab's timeline in the morning. If you're listening to this this far into the show, check Fab's timeline. He has everything. And in the words of Fab, here we go. <laughs> All right. Jacob Schneider, zonecoverage.com, E Pluribus Lunum. I appreciate the time as always, my friend. We'll talk again soon, right? Yes, sir. All right. Now I have the pleasure to welcome in boys soccer director and U19 boys soccer coach at Shattuck St. Mary's. It's Sean Boucher. Sean, thank you for taking some time this week. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for asking. Uh, So obviously Shattuck St. Mary's is competing in MLS's new elite youth development program. And I want to talk a lot about that here in a bit. But first, I want to go into your personal background. You spent a lot of time coaching in Colorado and Washington at the collegiate and even the USL level. Did you always know you wanted to be a coach? And what was that transition like from playing in college to coaching? Yeah, I think it struck me in in college when I was playing at Bellhaven. And what ended up happening is I just started reflecting on, well, one, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? But uh, two, then it was this, the effect my college coaches had on me, Steve Smith, Peter Fuller, they were really impactful and kind of a, you know, it's a unique time of life, college age, and you're trying to become your, who you are, um, branching out. And these guys through the game of soccer had an impact on my life. And I said, oh, this is what I want to do. And uh, so it was that really in that senior year, I said, I want to go forth with this and started out and just working in youth soccer there in a small town in Mississippi, but then said, oh, no, nope, I want to get into college grad school you know and started pushing on that route but it was all about saying 
well, I love the game. You know, that's why coaches usually get involved in it. And then you want to stay in the game because you can't play in it anymore. Yeah. And, but really it was this thing of let's impact lives. And yeah. uh, that's, that's really further and further developed throughout my coaching is that's what I wanted to, to do. Um, and back then, uh, it was a long time ago, Jeremy, 1990, uh, and coaching opportunities and where the game was in our country, mm -hmm. not like it is now where there's yeah. so many different, different levels of, yeah. of where you can make this a career and a profession. So it was just really finding a way to make it uh, a career. And my first route was saying, I want to get involved in college. I like the college age kids. I know I didn't, I didn't want to be a high school teacher. I and coach soccer there. That was really kind of the other route to take. And mm. I knew I didn't have the disposition to teach uh, in a high school setting at that point. <laughs> so I was like, college. And uh, yeah, thankfully the paths kind of opened up after grad school and had a, you know, an excellent experience at a D3 school that allowed me other opportunities to coach um, in the USL level mm. uh, and had some pretty unique experiences there working with Brian Ching and Craig Weibel and in their college days and yep. uh, where they went on to. And then it just kind of, yeah, thankfully uh, yeah, I had good mentors and just kind of been able to keep going in this coaching realm. And as you kind of mentioned, you've kind of grown as a coach as the game has sort of grown in this country throughout the years. Um, what's the biggest difference, I guess, you've seen from a coaching standpoint now as the game has grown and as we're getting more exposure to it? You know, the MLS is growing, uh, you know, just soccer in general in the United States is, is you know, more popular now than ever. And that's continuing to grow. From a coaching standpoint, as you've kind of built your own coaching tree throughout the years, um, are you seeing more interest in coaching in soccer? And, and where's that balance between more interest and 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 you know, more potential applicants, more potential coaches, and more opportunities. Um, how, how have you seen that uh, sort of grow as, as the game has grown? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a, it's a big question, too, and they get into your personal philosophy of coaching any in the old school and the way it used to be. Uh, you know, we had to forge our way through uh, mm -hmm. and kind of make it. And you coached just to coach, not really – you weren't coaching to get paid a lot. Uh, you're still mm -hmm. not coaching to get paid a lot, but uh, it was um, this trying to piece things together. And for me in the coaching development realm, it was making sure you got around other coaches, other mentors to kind of lead the way. The challenge now for young coaches, I think, is you can start getting paid right away, but you're yep. doing a lot of things and who's helping you grow. Um, and I think this is one of the bigger pieces of advice I I give to young coaches that come through our program that you want to be around people that will help you grow and become um, a better coach uh, and know what a coach is and needs to become. Uh, but on the flip side now, there are a lot of different avenues to go in. Before it was like, okay, be a grad assistant at a college. Uh, that was one way to do it. Mm -hmm. um, now you've got youth programs, you got uh, academy level programs, you got the MLS programs, you got college, and then all the different levels in there. And there's so many more opportunities to say, oh, I can experience a lot of different things to mm -hmm. figure out what level I'd like to, to start at and begin with or end up in. And that is awesome. I think there's, there's just a lot there. And so now there's hopefully the, the main reason if you're involved in youth soccer is to impact lives through the game. Mm -hmm. But there's also a way to have create this competitive 
outlet that you're you're gonna have you are gonna impact the game whether it's a grassroots level or elite youth level or uh more mature and then you we haven't talked you know you got the usl level and the different mm -hmm. divisions in there nps there's soccer everywhere and so that's uh that's awesome and so i think the onus now really even more so becomes on coaches to be good at what they're doing our players we have cool players in our country uh, we have good players in and around in different communities it's not just about la um or texas or florida it is it is now and certainly uh, minnesota as i've come to know it now is you know, there's players here there's players everywhere now coaches we have to raise kind of the level um so that we can help the players create that next step well, yeah. what's next create that next step <laughs> into their path um i think that's the biggest charge right now the, the onus and responsibility on coaches to become better Obviously, there's two sort of paths to pro right now. You can go the straight collegiate route or, like you said, elite youth development academies like Shattuck St. Mary's are starting to, to come up and become big developmental routes for some of these kids, kind of similar to what's happening in Europe. Um, when did you kind of start to see the shift and this growth of the youth development level, the elite youth, elite youth development level? And when did you decide that this is maybe a route that you would like to go in terms of coaching as opposed to college? Yeah, good question. I think in, um, you know, as the decade of the 2000s started going, I was involved in the Olympic development program, started off state team levels, and then got involved in the regional team. And um, the youth, or the regional teams um, in region four. And it was an awesome experience, awesome coaching experience. Uh, again, working with different players, Marisa Du, and oh man, it was cool. And yeah. the soccer was, was was awesome and then in this 2007 era-ish uh things started to change when u.s soccer stepped in and, and developed the this development academy program mm -hmm. and then you started to see this shift of where players were and they that program in particular at that time the odp you could see the change and now the top players were filtering into a different direction and and then as the year started to add up you say uh, there is now a, a fundamental shift for the elite players. And as I said, there are cool players that the regional experience was awesome for me going to Chile, going to Costa Rica, going to inter-regional events. And you'd see these U15, U16 players that were gosh darn neat. You know, you say their abilities to play this game was, was excellent. And uh, wanted to be involved in that. The college program, you know, has its, Again, there's a lot of benefits, and I miss uh, many facets of it. And you're in young people's lives at the pretty neat stage of their life, um, 18 to 22 years old and independent and get to work with them. But on the soccer side, you're limited by rules and how much you're going to be able to interact with them. And the interaction is uh, valuable to me. And so it was when I coupled the college and the USL, I wanted to coach a lot more. Uh, the problem is now I coach a lot more. You're always coaching in youth soccer. I mean, it's just so yeah. going and it's just an unending uh, endeavor, but uh, which is good uh, on the whole. But uh, so I said, had an opportunity to then leave after a couple of decades in the college game to, to join the Colorado Rush program, which was a founding member in this uh, academy. Mm -hmm. My brother was there too, so it created this unique experience yeah. uh, to go there, worked with 
um, some nice players and uh, coaching staff and it helped me grow. And now it was, for me, it was the next coaching challenge because I had done what I'd done for a while and mm -hmm. needed to get around other people to grow my abilities also so that I could better impact uh, lives. And that, that experience was wonderful and it, it led me here to Shattuck St. Mary's. But this thing of being an L coach, basically year round, um, to be at a competitive elite level, this kind of gave, it also touches on the past player in you in that you mm -hmm. wanna compete and see what you can do and let's get after it and see how good we can become. And yeah, I kind of melded these things together um, to where it is now. Do you see the collegiate system, you know, 10, 20 years from now, still being a viable developmental, uh, playing a viable developmental role in, in the growth of, of, you know, players and, and, and talent um, here, here in the States? I mean, we've just seen just this past weekend, Jack Harrison, Wake Forest alum, scoring one of the goals in the week in the Premier League uh, against arguably one of the best teams in the world in Liverpool. Um, you know, we see here in Minnesota guys like Chase Gasper, Dane St. Clair, you know, the list goes on and on of, of college players who are making an impact in MLS. Uh, but when you see, you know, the growth of, of youth and developmental soccer over the next decade, couple decades, do you see collegiate soccer still playing that role of helping grow that talent level? Or do you see that shift more going towards primarily the elite youth development academies? Or will it kind of be a hybrid of both? Well, I'll probably go towards the latter. Um... That's going to be a hybrid. I think our certainly our country is unique. I mean, we have to use the strengths. We're not we're not a small country in Holland. We're not you know we are who we are. We have to take what others are doing, learn from others, and then the real when we grasp that we are who we are and use the strengths of what we have in our country um, and blend that model. I think we'll create another tier of a player because players do develop at at different rates yeah. we do value an educational system you know obviously the pandemic is going to create some different opportunities and challenges but i think that's good it's about adapting and i think the college program probably needs to uh, continue to adapt in its way um, of uh, its model of development and, and yeah. keeping up with the youth player the youth players gaining so many more experiences now um, and so many more competitive experiences and so many more challenges that from college rules of the game, I think those are going to have to adapt because that helps as you get into the next uh, level, the professional level. We, we have to get closer to mirroring that. You know, my thing would be, okay, substitution rules are going to have to change. We can't play 20 players in a game mm -hmm. and think that we're going to continue to develop a pro at that level and i think just enjoyment level we need that competition in there so i think if the college game who has excellent people involved in it that figuring out its way to um adapt grow ever change we have to keep evolving there just like the youth program the youth is not the same as it was in 2010 you yeah. know and it's going to continue to to mold and evolve and so all of us has to kind of do that. But I, I think it's going to be an integral part because we do have these success stories. Um, it's awesome. I mean, guys that come from Chico State and now are all leading goal scorers in club history. Uh, this, is, this is neat. These are stories we have to hold on to. We can't just say on oh, the college program, that's the way it used to be. But, oh, this is an integral part of the United States. And I, I think it's a, 
is a cool thing, but it's going to have to continue to grow just as uh, any program has to. Absolutely. Let's uh, transition to talking about the, uh, the new MLS Elite Youth Development Program that you guys are a part of. Uh, kicked off this past weekend, um, your clubs took on Chicago FC United over in the Wisconsin Dells. First off, I mean, considering everything that's happened over the last several months, how did it feel to just get back out on the pitch uh, for some actual games? Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was awesome. I don't know if you remember, but it was just raining. Um, and okay, we're playing at a neutral site. Flies, okay, some pandemic things. We're minimizing overnight stays, trying to create the safest, healthiest uh, format that we can. And so we met up, a nice complex there in the Dells and uh, so on. But as we're driving there, the morning, it's just raining, it's just raining, it's just raining. Well, the fields were. A couple fields were flooded. The ones we were scheduled on, water. Oh, man. Water, water. And, okay, we were able to move the first game, adjust to get the U15s in. Uh, awesome. Just felt good to be playing. Then the next games were on these other fields. Like, okay, you can't kick the ball five yards. We don't care. We haven't played in seven months. We yep. have to play. No matter what we're playing. And, but, thankfully, we came up with come up, some other ideas, and we had to be – adaptable uh we got the games in and got them on playable pitches and so on but it was it was a challenge but there was no way we were backing out of uh playing and the referees even what was awesome you know is that they were adaptable too now their day became even longer because we stretched it out and mm -hmm. we had a whole well you had all this thing working together and for me this is one of the, the positives of this era right now is we have to figure out how to keep working together so yep. um, and and that's how the league evolved really now and where it's at yep. is let's solve the problem. Let's come up and let's work together to get young people on the field and let's go. And the guys were excited. No, no complaint. It was awesome. Now we would have liked to won a couple more games. We went one, two and one on the weekend, but it, mm -hmm. who cares? Uh, we were there and let's, let's get started. Let's get going. It was awesome. Was it different at all? I mean, obviously the, the, the elements played a huge factor, as you said, but, but just the overall atmosphere and the way this is set up, was it different at all than, than what you've seen in the past? And what were just your overall impressions on, on how that first weekend went and, and what, you know, how this MLS Elite program could grow? Well, I think the, the MLS Next program here is, is setting the foundation for the next evolution of youth soccer. You know, it steps into a, a vacuum created when U.S. soccer stepped out. But U.S. soccer did a lot of good work in getting it going. And it started in 2007 and progressed over these 13 years. And so what was critical and what's, I think, come out of that is that it's the clubs that make up the league. It's the clubs that make up the program, which are the people. And so we played Chicago FC United. Well, that's who we played in the academy before. So it's these clubs, again, continuing to move forward. Uh, here and help grow the game for the next mm -hmm. player um, and the next coach and the next fan and the next referee. And so that's what was exciting. I think that was what was important about this weekend is that, yep, we're continuing to move and they're continuing to move forward. And uh, that was the most positive thing. And that was the step of, you know, the MLS saying, okay, we need this. Youth soccer has come such a long ways in just the just over a decade that we need to continue it. And the players that are coming that have come forth out of this, we need to continue it. And it has continued. And so now it's in its place. Um, certainly it's a unique time uh, 
in our country and in the world, but it's also set there so that it can springboard forward. And I think that was what was this weekend's um, significance is that it's in place and that we have a platform to, to move forward. So obviously you're not, uh, Shattuck isn't affiliated with an MLS franchise. Um, so in terms of getting involved with MLS next, were you guys chosen by MLS? Was there an application process? How does a, you know, a quote unquote independent club like yourself yeah. get involved uh, in this, in this uh, system? Right. Yeah. Well, we were an academy, development academy member within U.S. soccer. Mm-hmm. MLS extended the, the invitation to all that were in that, um, okay. that established in good standing and, and so on. And so extend the invitation there and we accepted because why? Because the rest of the clubs were, were there. It was about the clubs more than a name of a league. And it's about the standards that were being set um, and the expectations and the, the goals, you know, mm-hmm. so we want to be more around, we wanted to be around like-minded clubs and the competitive levels where those clubs were going to be. Yeah. And so it was a no, no brainer. We didn't pause for a moment and said, Let's go for us. So. You mentioned kind of the neutral sites better accommodating, you know, travel and the current restrictions that are in place. When, when this first came about and you were first extended that invitation, was there any apprehension at all in getting involved with this, considering Minnesota is on kind of an island, so to speak? There's not a lot of local teams, teams around to compete with. Was there any apprehension at all regarding the travel and how much there would be um, in this scenario, especially considering the time that we're in? Right. Yeah, the time we're in, you had to, we had to think a little bit about that. And certainly even then we didn't know well, how's this going to continue to play out. But so you have to think of the future. Um, and no, we'd already done, we've been used to it. Uh, the travel to Ohio, we were playing Columbus crew before, you know, last year we, we traveled to Texas to play FC Dallas. And, you know, so it's been part of our mode of opera operating. Yeah. So, it's just something that we do because the players that we uh, attract, the young people, this is their goal. Their aspiration is to compete and to see how good they can become. And to do that, you need to play against and with uh, the best that mm-hmm. you can. And that's why, well, this is the way Shattuck St. Mary's is set up is to, is to be in the elite level youth program. When were you guys able to start training and practicing with all those restrictions that were in place? And what, what did that timeline look like from then to, you know, this past weekend with your first set of games? Yeah. Yeah. We left school in March. Um, students didn't come back really to August uh, 17th was when our first, uh, our U17 and U19s came back, you know, and so, and now we're on the schedule the next week, then the U15s and 16s came back. We had a small group of local players that we trained over the summer, starting in uh, mid mid June, um, twenty odd players or so. Uh, but really, at full force, we went uh, August seventeenth, and then we've been able to go. Yeah, we've had a couple of things. Okay, we got to go safely here, and so we've had a couple of quarantine incidents just because of no one's ever tested. Uh, we haven't tested positive out of it, but an exposure, and so we say, hey, okay, yeah. what's going Contact on? Contact tracing. And yeah, stuff. yeah. So um just kind of that's the new era of of things but yeah we were looking forward to the game um because it's been a long time since we played a real game and uh the players had extra certainly august what we've seen uh as coaches that there's an extra energy when we're training every Mm -hmm. day and they're just they're they're grateful to be out there and so are we as coaches 
Um, so let's go into the history of Shattuck St. Mary's a little bit. Uh, you joined, uh, you came on board in 2016. Shattuck, obviously one of the premier developmental programs, not only in Minnesota, but nationwide. You guys have state-of-the-art facilities, you know, full training center, multiple pitches, a weight room, aquatic therapy, all that stuff. Um, you know, the showcase and competition opportunities at Shattuck are really second to none, especially when it comes to competition in the area. Um, what, you know, even though, you know, you're only, you know, four years into your tenure here, uh, what does the history of Shattuck look like and how did it, you know, come to be the developmental power that it is today? Yeah. Yeah. I certainly give full credit to the folks that came before coach Carter, Tim Carter did excellent. He was the, the founding director when they, the initiative came forth. Certainly, um, the hockey program here at Shattuck St. Mary's is very well known. That was really the first center of excellence as we call them. And, the success of that um, bred the opportunity for soccer to start. And Tim was a part of the, the masterminds, if you will, of creating these facilities and what was needed in Minnesota. Uh, Cause yeah, I've been here four years, but it gets cold here yeah. uh, and there's a lot of snow. And so you need particular types of facilities to, to accommodate a full year round program mm-hmm. and really it hit the, it hit the ground running there. It's a massive recruiting effort, but when you produce the Chris Suttons and Teal Bunbury still playing, still a brace a couple of weeks ago to, to win the league or win the game, uh, pretty exciting. And that that's just kind of begotten the next stage of the the next player that comes. And when I came to visit on the uh, really in the interview process, because I'm like, who wants to play soccer and go to boarding school in Minnesota? You know, I'm from the Northwest. <laughs> it's yeah. It's Minnesota, you know, Cole, what's going on here? And then you come and you watch the, the players. And the players are what sold it. It's good. Well, they're good players here. Yeah. So there's probably more good players out there that want to come. And so now it's, it's really, um, that's the, the strength of it. Uh, there's, there's good players that come here. We have players, we do have players that have a variety of uh, abilities, if you will, but they all have this extreme desire to get better. They move away from home. Um, Awesome. I mean, that's an amazing commitment to do that for the, the sport, but they start figuring out it's more than that, the sport that they, they come for. Um, on the coaching realm, it was, oh, the, lab, the club I was at previously, we had players driving two hours one way to get to practice, and sometimes mm-hmm. they don't make practice, traffic, this. Well, all the players are right here. You know, we have this soccer laboratory here, and so from a coaching perspective, again, awesome, because we have our – our group right here and we have the ability to, to train them all the time and what was also unique and for me personally was it bled, bled this college what I miss about college is the interaction off the field and mm-hmm. youth soccer it gets really hard you see them on the field and then they go and you've got the next team coming in or yeah. you know it's the deep contact is minimal what we have here um, is we see them in the cafeteria we see them walking across campus our coaches have duties in the dorms you know we see him living and now we make it more than just the game you know the soccer is our vehicle um, to reach players and we want to compete we want to help them reach their soccer goals no doubt but uh, we also help um, develop them into the person that they're becoming and that energy comes back to us and we, we become too. 
You mentioned that the, that the players and the, and the competition is what sold it to you as a coach. Uh, what, what do you see as the most common sell to, 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 to the players that are coming in? Because as you kind of alluded to, you know, they're, you know, they're, they, they're choosing between Minnesota and places like Texas and California and Arizona and Florida where they can really play year-round outdoors, no, no real issues when it comes to the elements. Um, you know, what, what do you see that sells it to a player to, hey, come up to Minnesota and play, play soccer for us? <laughs> yeah. Um, it ain't me, that's for sure. But it's this uh, <laughs> thing of being, a, being around others of like minds. Uh, again, that's kind of this dubbing into the college. You get around people that are more like you uh, in their thoughts or goals and aspirations. And that's what we have this, in goals and aspirations. You get around these uh, others that are like it. And I, this is, I think this is our, our strength. And then, they, yep, they see the facilities. Then they see the other players that are here. But when they come visit, they see that, okay, yeah, okay, there's, there's good players here. And I want to be a part of it. And certainly we've had um, the in and out in our different successes there. And then the, the parents, I mean, it's a big, I mean, it's a big sacrifice commitment by our parents. Um, there goes their son. I'm handing him over uh, yeah. to the program. Well, where a school has been around over 150 years, and we know how to board a student and take care of, and then we have this infrastructure that takes care of from health services to academic advising to counseling, and you have this. We're not a, we haven't done this for just to have a soccer program. We've, the school is first, and it's care for the individual is first, and then we add this high-level uh, athletic program uh, from hockey, soccer, figure skating, you know, and then our academic programs, bioscience, engineering. We have these different rounds for our, our students, but it's that. And then we have this normalcy uh, to us too. It is a high school. You know, you have other uh, students there. It's not just soccer players on campus. It's uh, music students. Um, it's artists. It's engineers you know yep. and as golfers and uh, you know and all these things work together so it's like oh you know you're making um you're certainly making a sacrifice and a commitment but you look around and say oh it's for more than just this soccer and so we kind of i dug it off of uh barcelona it's more than a club it's, there's more than that can come out of this and i think that's what ultimately can attract them. certainly the young player and i we know we all want to be pros uh, when we're young and, you know, and so there's the soccer is, is that element and they can see the, a pathway there, but uh, we'll soon learn that it's, it's a lot more than that. Um, the other uh, youth development academy, main youth development academy that's in the MLS next system, obviously in the area is Minnesota United. So they've made some huge adjustments to their academy recently. Um, you know, from, from what from what happened back in May, the decision they made to sort of uh, pivot to this new venture. Um, you know, how many players originally from the Loons Academy were you able to add to your squads, roughly? Yeah, a couple of handfuls within our uh, four teams. Well, the three U15, 16, 17s. We've added uh, a couple of players in each uh, about uh, and needed additions um, to it. Certainly a shock to their systems Yeah. and what, and we're thankful that they sought us out and we sought them out and kind of create this uh, next arrangement for them. And so, yeah, we're, we're grateful to have them uh, a part mm -hmm. of it. And it's just kind of, um, yeah, part of that evol soccer evolution and certainly Obviously, the pandemic plays into different factors, but there's reasons that it happened. And now it's on the next stage, and it is yeah, a time to adapt and grow. And mm -hmm. I think that's probably what Minnesota is doing, Minnesota United is doing.
adapting. Obviously, being being you know YouTube being the the main kind of academy systems and, and being somewhat similar in the age groups and stuff, uh, you obviously know probably know a lot about their their academy system and probably know a lot of people that are in it. Um, what were your overall impressions of the changes made to United's academy and the decision they made? <laughs> yeah, good question. It's um, well, one I focus on ourselves. We have a lot to do, and so mm -hmm. um, yeah. and I'm always uh, empathetic of what decisions have to be made and. Uh, man, tough times. And so now, yeah, it dictated tough to see. I think tough decisions. I, I'm certain that was a, a tough decision to say we need to let people, good people go that impacted the game uh, in the community and state and, and so on. And said, so, nope, we got to make a tough decision. This is what leaders do. They make tough decisions. And now adapting into the next phase. And, you know, you, you uh, spoke about it earlier in that Minnesota is unique you know we're not we're not in a hub of other we're not in the northeast where you have competition everywhere um and manny lagos and i spoke and he reached out and you know we spoke one time here and it's it is about trying to find the way that works for minnesota there are good people involved in the game in the states uh that are help and that are helping players grow and i think that's what they want to tap into is to allow um grassroots clubs and now elite level clubs in the in the state to work with players and they come in and, and supplement it in, in certain different ways that makes sense for them and what well, i think a brave step they're the only mls club to do this you yeah. know because they have there's different mandates but what they've said is you know this is for me outside to certainly just my opinion but what they've said is that no we need to find a way that's best for us and our program. And we can't follow a cookie cutter model. We're gonna do what we think is best for our club uh, in producing players, and also what's best for our community in doing so. And so that's, that's my take on it. Um, and so wish them well. Uh, certainly the, having the pro club in our, our state is good for everybody. Um, and they've created such a fanatical base of followers awesome you know we have this um typical model european model of people who quote but in south america it does, it's a soccer model of yep. fans there and it's there. man awesome uh awesome so certainly wish them well and hope to be uh you know continued uh, good partners in this in growing players uh, give us a couple few names to uh, to watch out for from Shattuck St. Mary's as far as the, the players that are currently in your system that could you know you see could be making a real you know future impact whether it be collegiately professionally otherwise. Uh, nice, put me on the spot. <laughs> uh, calling out a couple names, you know, I think we have we have some neat neat players from uh, Matt Van Horn in the North Pole, Alaska. Uh, this is what's neat about our program. That's you know, we're from North Pole, Alaska to Miami, Florida. It's awesome. And so he's an 04 that uh, has some, some neat abilities it's, that he's been able to thrive and develop and grow from there. Um, Brody Fawn is, is, is a senior this year that uh, will go to Loyola, Chicago. Uh, pretty cool. We've had players that were within our program and have moved on to try the next competitive level from mm -hmm. Matthew Rue. Um, he's going to Notre Dame with the Indy 11 uh, there. Antino Lopez is now a freshman at uh, Duke uh, yep. there. He's certainly a guy to watch. Pipe Hernandez is at Clemson right now. Uh, and so we have these, these next 
steps and we have players like Cornell, Yale, and um, Jonathan Preston who go to Dartmouth next year. You know, so these are um, kind of pretty good stories that get yeah. to all right. Well, we'll be looking out for them and obviously paying close attention to MLS Next and, of course, uh, your guys' role in it. It's Sean Boucher. He is the director of boys soccer and the U19 boys soccer coach at Shattuck St. Mary's. Sean, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much and best of luck the rest of the way this year. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Like last time. Dude, we were like two hours last time. I had to cut it down to an hour and a half. I had to cut out the whole I can't, Champions League. Yeah, you made that a YouTube That was like 40 minutes. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like 10, and we went 40 minutes on Champions League. I'm a Comcast. We have Comcast at our house, and I heard if you have Comcast, you get Precock Premium for free, you do. but I didn't have that option, so I'm not really sure. You do get it for free, but it's only on the box, not on your computer, not on your phone, not on your tablet.